What does motion sound like? With Kizikans free shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizikcom socks. Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News political director Rick Klein. And I'm ABC News White House correspondent Karen Travers. And a lot to get to. A very big story. <laughs> an earth-shattering, earth-rattling, world-altering day. Even in the Trump presidency, maybe the most significant hour of the Trump presidency transpired on Tuesday night. Uh, before we get to that, though, just a quick correction. Need to correct once again, Jonathan Carl. I was not at an undisclosed gambling location last week <laughs> taking care of any sorts of addictions. I was, in fact... Uh, at the beach in Delaware with my family, the closest I came to gambling was spending a lot of money to win about a $2 prize at Funland in uh, uh, in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. Uh, but that aside, uh, John is out this week, and you heard from Karen. And Karen, uh, what a day. What a I day. Mean, it just it just seemed like the day that would never end on Tuesday with the uh, the guilty plea of Michael Cohen and the conviction uh, by Paul Manafort, uh, the tally of... Uh, close Trump aides and advisors who are guilty to actual crimes is growing and it gets closer and closer to the president himself. And we've had a lot of days where we've looked back and said, wow, what a day. But this one really felt different. August 21st, 2018 is certainly one for the history books. It all happened in the same hour as we are awaiting word uh, of the verdict in Paul Manafort's case in Virginia. The news is breaking in New York about Michael Cohen, the president's former personal lawyer, pleading guilty uh, to these charges of financial crimes and also campaign finance issues. And this is all really now getting close to President Trump. And the White House, Rick, for months has been able to say has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with collusion. That person was a bit player. That person was only a coffee boy. Now this is the president's confidant, pit bull, fixer and lawyer, and his campaign chairman. You can't say that these two people are on the outer circle at this point. And we're going to talk a little bit later in the program with the author of a New York Times bestselling book, Everything Trump Touches Dies, which seems like somehow a a, a good fitting um, title for the week is uh, the Republican strategist, actually, Rick Wilson, pretty well known uh, out on, on, on Twitter if you follow him. Um, we'll get to that. But but you're right. I mean, this was the moment that um, it, it feel, felt crystallized in time in some ways, except it was so wild in so many different directions that it was hard to, to put your finger on it. Uh, I love the line by Dan Walls in The Washington Post, the moment where the truth overran tweets. Uh, and it is a, a moment where the president um, found out very, very harshly through the words of his former aide um, and confidant, Michael Cohen, and through the words of a, of a federal jury in Virginia, that he is going to have to account for his words and his deeds. And the allegation, particularly from Cohen, uh, contained in the indict in, in the in the guilty plea mm-hmm. as well as the statement he made in court that the president himself and campaign aides, but that the president himself um, knew about and directed him to make a payment, an illegal payment, uh, in, in contravention of campaign finance laws, to silence someone who was going to be critical of the campaign. In this case, a porn star that had alleged to have had an affair with President Trump. President himself implicated by his uh, his closest mm-hmm. advisor. A stunning and and game changing development. Yeah, this isn't a political rival trying to take down the president. This isn't opposition research. This is somebody that was incredibly close to the president who said. 
said uh, as recently as a year ago he'd take a bullet for President Trump and how quickly this relationship devolved. Uh, You had uh, the president a couple months ago asked explicitly, did you know about the $130,000 payment to Stormy Daniels? And he said, no, no. What else? And that was it. Well, you know, as we know now, he did know about it. And Cohen is not just saying he knew about it, but that he directed his lawyer to make that payment in order to silence Stormy Daniels and silence Karen McDougal in the weeks before the election to cover up this affair, to not hurt his election chances. And, you know, Rick, it really gets to a credibility question. And you have the president on several occasions denying this. And now the charge that he was the driver of this payment. And the White House has been able to say, we're not going to address the legal aspects. That's for the lawyers. We're not going to comment on an ongoing investigation. We think the Russia probe is all a big witch hunt and a hoax. But the question about credibility is something that they haven't answered, but it's not going to go away. How can the American people believe the president when this is now another glaring example of him seeming not telling the truth on a big, big issue. And Michael Cohen has his own credibility issues, of course, as well. Mm-hmm. He's on the record in lots of things that um, now appear in retrospect. He's admitting were lies, were misstatements, intentional misstatements. Uh, I, I think the lo- a lot to be read into, though, by the way this was handled by prosecutors, the fact that he is not um, in any official capacity um, cooperating mm-hmm. with uh, investigators, even though he's now his lawyer is telling us, um, t- said on Good Morning America, that he's willing to have that conversation with Mueller or anyone else who asks and, and be totally honest. But take a listen, Karen, to to how the U.S. attorney involved in this, uh, Robert Kuzami, uh, described the lesson that should be derived from the guilty plea by Michael Cohen. We are a nation of laws, and the essence of this case is about is justice, and that is an equal playing field for all uh, persons in the eyes of the law. And that is a lesson that uh, Mr. Cohen uh, learn today, and it is a very harsh one for him. Is it me, Karen, or was there a little extra emphasis on that word, all? Yes. And I think this wasn't just a message about what Michael Cohen was dealing with. This was, I took it as a much more broad message, a striking statement from a deputy U.S. attorney that was a pushback to some of the president's very harsh criticisms of the Justice Department, his criticisms of Robert Mueller, the special counsel, and Mueller's team of investigators, career government lawyers, uh, who the president has called a national disgrace. He the other day said that they were angry Democratic thugs. And there's been a lot of backlash to the president's criticisms of these career officials. And some say that it's really hurting the credibility of the Justice Department. It's hurting morale there. So to see an official of that stature stand up there and not just talk about Michael Cohen, but say, we're here, prosecutors are here, law enforcement officials are here, the Justice Department is here to make sure that people who break laws don't get away with it. I think it was a pre-buttle to the inevitable pushback that the president is going to do uh, and continue to do about the broader Russia probe. Yeah. And, and the pushback, of course, it it began months ago mm-hmm. and it continued right through the day on Tuesday. It's continued on Twitter on Wednesday. But the president um, didn't take any questions really on this. But there was a brief exchange uh, with reporters right before his rally in West Virginia that I think was telling. Take a listen. I feel badly for both. Uh, I must tell you that Paul Manafort's a good man. He was with Ronald Reagan. He was with uh, a lot of different people over the years, and I feel very sad about that. 
So the only way he commented on Cohen was that brief Mm -hmm. change at the top. I feel badly for both. And then he goes on about Manafort. And a lot of people are speculating that he's setting things up for for a pardon, that maybe that's it. But I think even more broadly, he's trying to say once again that Paul Manafort had nothing to do with me or or really about my inner circle. He's blaming him now on Ronald Reagan, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Like it was another Republican president who's responsible for this. But he's definitely sending strong signals that he is considering a pardon for Paul Manafort. He was asked explicitly about this last week at the White House, and he said he wasn't going to talk about it. But I think it's notable, this sympathetic tone he's taken on Manafort in recent days. He says he feels badly for him. He said the trial was very sad. He said that uh, his former campaign chairman is a brave man that he respects. We're not hearing anything like that from the president, his lawyers, or anybody at the White House about Michael Cohen. There is no consideration for a similar gesture of leniency to Michael Cohen. But if you're Paul Manafort's legal team, you're seeing these tweets, you're hearing statements like that and thinking, this could end up okay for us. We'll see how it plays out. And the difference between Manafort and Cohen, beyond just like how well they dress and um, <laughs> the, what, what kind of, what kind of figure jackets. they cut. Exactly. <laughs> beyond that, one decided to cooperate mm-hmm. with federal authorities and the other decided not to. In, in presidential parlance, in Trump's mind, one decided to be his friend and one decided not to and to turn on him. And that question of loyalty seems a lot more relevant to the president than any questions of honesty, because you have the Justice Department saying, Mm -hmm. we believe Michael Cohen enough to accept this plea uh, arrangement, and we disbelieve Paul Manafort so much that we prosecuted him Mm -hmm. and now convicted him of eight different federal counts. But what the Trump team is going to say is that Michael Cohen is a liar, and you can't believe any of these allegations he's making against the president, even though the prosecutors in New York clearly did believe him to allow him to enter this guilty plea. The president... uh, on Wednesday on Twitter was contrasting Manafort with Cohen. And he said Manafort was under tremendous pressure, but he writes, unlike Michael Cohen, he refused to break, make up stories in order to get a deal. Rick, this isn't the first time that the president has suggested that uh, Michael Cohen is making things up just to get out of trouble. A couple weeks ago, Cohen had said that the president knew about the Trump Tower meeting in 2016 that his son Don Jr. had with those Russian officials promising dirt on Hillary Clinton. The president said, nope, didn't know about it in advance. And isn't it convenient, essentially, you know, that Michael Cohen is now saying this to get himself out of an unrelated jam. This is all a a big effort that has been going on and is going to continue to discredit Cohen and say he is making things up. You can't believe him. Rudy Giuliani is even saying the lawyers are saying he's a liar. Why should we think anything else? And the efforts to discredit Bob Mueller continue. And the president Mm -hmm. ramped up those attacks even before the conviction in the probe. We should note that um, it was Mueller's prosecutors who convicted Manafort. Technically, it was not Mueller's team that mm-hmm. went after Michael Cohen. That was the Southern District of New York, although it was generated by um, by the Mueller team. They handed it over because mm-hmm. they didn't uh, they didn't believe it was inside of their purview. They handed it over to another set of prosecutors who were also Department of Justice officials. Um, although that it raises the possibility that, that Cohen comes back to Mueller's team in in something even unrelated, as that Pandora's box is now opened. The president. Uh, again, trying to lump it all together. And, mm-hmm. and here's what he said uh, last night in West Virginia. Again, I think saying a lot by not saying so much as he sometimes does. <laughs> Where is the collusion? You know, they're still looking for collusion. Where is the collusion? Find some collusion. We want to find the collusion. 
There's been a whole he lot of... He likes that word. <laughs> <clearly. laughs> he's like, elongating the syllables yes. <laughs> now. There's been a lot of goalposts moving throughout mm-hmm. this. Uh, Rudy Giuliani may be more guilty than anyone mm-hmm. uh, in, 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 that, in that sense. But there's, a, there's a, a defense that's being put up by the president and people around him that if, if Bob Mueller doesn't find collusion with the Russians and President Trump, then his whole probe is, is illegitimate and that there's nothing that's worth seeing in any of this, that he, he can't be charged with a crime, mm-hmm. he can't be impeached. Even, there's nothing that can be done if they don't find collusion. Right. That, to me, is a pretty major uh, attempt at creative definition of what the law is. Yeah, and a high bar, that if it's not that, right. then there's nothing else wrong here. And, you know, the president, as part of that effort to discredit the whole investigation, has really ramped up the attacks on Robert Mueller personally. You know, he's kind of held back when it came to Mueller. He's gone after Mueller's team and, you know, the angry Democrats line and all of that. But this week, he called Mueller himself disgraced and discredited in a tweet. And that was really remarkable. And it certainly indicated that there was maybe a another front opening up. Is it a sign the president's more worried? Is there some indication why he's making this about Mueller himself? We don't know that, but it could just be the president spouting off on Twitter. Uh, but it was notable that he went after him himself, I think. Yes. And and I think we should note that uh, either, either he is ne- neither disgraced nor discredited no. at this point. That's mm-hmm. an attempt by the president to try to define this. And I'm curious, Karen, you're over there every day. And this is a presidency that has been under siege for some time. Um, And they they in some ways welcome that. And Mm -hmm. and that's that's the normal uh, at that White House is is to be in in manning your battle stations. And there's certainly political elements that say, good, let's let's have the Democrats and and Bob Mueller and everyone else try to bring it because now we're, we're fighting back. This, though, is this different because of how personal it is to have Michael Cohen, to have Paul Manafort uh, uh, convicted like this, to have Omarosa mm-hmm. out there with her new book, the inner circle turning on him. Does that make this one different? I mean, it's certainly people who have been very close to him, who have been incredibly loyal to him. And you have to get a sense of the president is frustrated that, you know, that tight knit group is shrinking as one by one people are turning on him. Uh, you know, if Jared and Ivanka go, then really he's going to be in big trouble here at the White House. But I do think that there's a bit of a bunker mentality right now. It was striking to be here on Tuesday as all of this is going down. The president is heading to West Virginia for this rally. Reporters are shouting questions at him on Air Force One. No staff come back to the reporters on the plane. Uh, You could see that the TVs were tuned to Fox News like the president likes to do on flights. So he's clearly paying very close attention to all of this. Uh, But there wasn't a chance to ask questions. And, you know, we've been reaching out to sources and the silence has been really striking. I think they're still trying to figure this all out. Yesterday was such a bombshell of a day. So much news. Everybody's trying to piece together the headlines. And what does all of it mean? And what are the legal implications? I think the, you know, half a step back analysis is still really sinking in for officials here. And they're just not willing then to engage and say how they think this is going to play out. And I do want to I do want to just bring it to, to the politics of this moment, because if what you if you believe Michael Cohen and what he said uh, in open court as part of his plea, um, he's implicating the president of the United States in orchestrating a federal crime. Uh, there's been a lot of legal analysis out in the last 24 hours that have said um, the president is lucky that he's president because mm-hmm. if he wasn't president, you got to believe he'd be indicted or be that it would be a serious consideration. Now it's an open legal question. 
that uh, about whether a president can be indicted right. or not. What isn't open is that the, the Congress has the power to impeach a president based on high crimes and misdemeanors and uh, orchestrating a felony, uh, instructing someone to commit a, a felony, a, a federal crime. Sort sure sounds like we're getting mm-hmm. in the neighborhood, right? Uh, and you even heard some White House aides uh, anonymously, Karen, speaking through media source through, through sourcing in the last couple of days, say, "Well, now maybe this is a real possibility. This possibility of impeachment." What's your sense on on where the reality is on this? Is the political situation changing mm-hmm. so much that that is now a more real possibility, or is this maybe even wishful thinking on the part of Republicans who right. want to see a fight over impeachment? Yeah, like bring it on. Let's try and make this the issue because this is going to get. Our supporters so revved up. I mean, this was something that our good friend John Carl had reported a couple months ago now that, uh, you know, people close to the Republican midterm uh, process and, and close to the president's political thinking on this were saying that, you know, sure, make impeachment an issue, Democrats, go ahead, because that's going to get our supporters out to the polls because they're going to look at this midterm then as a referendum on our president, who he still has massively high approval ratings among Republicans. Democrats don't necessarily need an impeachment to get people ginned up and upset about the president. You know, the resistance doesn't need that to get them going right now. I think around here, they're not thinking of it as a reality at this point. I think everybody is just waiting to see what is going to happen in early November. You know, what happens with uh, the Democrats' effort to take back the House? Because certainly we haven't seen any realistic pushback or criticism from Republican leadership on anything with the president. I mean, they were notably silent after all of these uh, headlines were breaking yesterday. Paul Ryan's office says, we have to get more information before we weigh in. Hmm. McConnell's office was silent. And, you know, there's a bit of a fear factor there, too, that Republicans don't want to upset the president and come out strongly. But, you know, at, at some point, do they have to or can they keep just kind of riding this wave as long as they can and not making anything worse and see what happens in November? Uh, in a presidency built on big moments, I agree with you that we were going to remember that date, August 21st, for, <laughs> for some <laughs> That time. said, we have said that about a lot of dates, and, and now we I don't them. even yeah. remember those dates. <laughs> like, we'll say, what was that? And they'll say, well, that was just last Thursday. Oh, right. That was only a week ago. But, I mean, this was a big one. For these two big stories that had been building for so long to come together at the same moment, it was just incredible. And, uh, you know, really, the president, you know, back up against a wall in some ways. Uh, but he likes that position. He's a fighter. That's what the yeah. White House always says. He likes when he's up against the ropes. He pushes back. And, uh, you know, he, he likes having that natural combative headlines for him. And, you know, he's, he's tweeting very actively about this on Wednesday. I haven't heard from him again. We'll see if we hear anything more. We'd love to ask some questions of him and, of course, the press secretary. All right. We're going to take a quick break right now. When we come back, we're going to talk to Rick Wilson, the author of a new book, Everything That Trump Touches Dies, a Republican strategist who, fair to say, is pretty anti-Trump. When it comes to hiring, you don't have time to waste. You need help getting your short list of qualified candidates fast. That's why you need Indeed.com. Get started today at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Now joining us here on Powerhouse Politics, the best-selling author of Everything Trump Touches Dies. You know him from Twitter as the Rick Wilson, and he is quite a character both on Twitter and in real life. Uh, Rick Wilson joining us here on the podcast, good friend of the podcast. Rick, welcome. How are you, my friends? Man, we we're, uh, we're drowning. On. We're drowning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> another another slow week to talk about. Uh, but Rick, so your book, I can't imagine a better title to encapsulate 
the day's news, the week's news, everything Trump touches dies. Uh, 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 I think fair to say a cataclysmic day for the uh, uh, for the Trump presidency, a consequential day for the Trump presidency. What's your big takeaway from this? Uh, do, you, do you feel yourself taking a bit of a victory lap with Republican friends or what's what is this ultimately going to mean to, to, to your mind? You know, a lot of my Republican friends um, who reached out to me quietly and privately and, you know, in that whole, please don't say that I said anything, uh, tone that is very much of our times, uh, you know, before this all happened and reached out and said, oh, your book was great. Thank you so much for writing it. You know, we're going to all have to get through all this craziness. Well, you know, the craziness that they've been parties to played out yesterday. and And a lot of them think that, oh, maybe this is as bad as it gets. There's no Russian collusion proved in these in these cases. And my point was, you know, guys, this is the first inning of the first game of the World Series. This isn't, we're not even anywhere close to where the pain level gets really high. And so, you know, the the the, uh, the schadenfreude thing about me being right about this is, it's it, you know, I, I, am, I was right about it for a long time, but, you know, my party has been so stubborn about it. They're going to have to, they're going to have to you know, learn that, that old lesson that pain is the only teacher. And um, and I think they're they're starting to see the outlines of that as the party, you know, enters that phase where we move from 1973, where the Republicans were screaming, oh, it's a put on job by the by the media. Watergate's just a lie and it's a scam to 1974 when we lost 49 House seats and eight Senate seats. So they're they're The, the pain level is rising. They just they're they're dug in, though, still with Trump and fearful of him. And, and Rick, I want to I want to remind people of uh, of your background a bit because I I knew you before you were the Rick Wilson before you were yes, you <laughs> did. The, before you were um, maybe the most prominent or one of the most prominent anti Trumper never Trumpers on on Twitter going to battle daily with um, with the Trump loyal forces. Uh, you worked for Saxby, Saxby Chambliss. You worked for Rudy Giuliani. You were known as I'd, I'd say a bit of a rabble rouser in, in Florida politics and beyond. Uh, you like to mix it up, uh, but a very loyal and, and aggressive Republican. What yeah, happened? For, what happened to you? Where, where, where did, where did you go wrong? What happened? What happened to me was I reached a point where where I couldn't make a moral compromise with everything that that my party and claimed to believe in, and the things that drew me to it in the first place. And those were things that, you know, the, these old-fashioned values like the rule of law, adherence to the Constitution, three co-equal branches of government, um, a, a, a sense uh, in our leadership uh, of moral probity and dignity and, and intelligence, and all of those things that, you know, and look, I, I came up in, in the world of George H.W. Bush. That was my first campaign in 1988. And, and, and that that I think it left a mark on me, and I and I it took me a while to process through it. But the understanding and and knowing Trump a little bit from over the years, and knowing what he's like uh, in the real world, not on the TV world, um, I had this sense that this guy was the seeds of destruction for the Republican Party, and the seeds of destruction for the conservative movement. And uh, and and while I hate taking the victory lap in some ways, and I hate doing the uh, I told you guys, I told you guys uh, act in some ways. The the degree to which he proves me correct every day, it, it both saddens, infuriates, and and delights me in on, in three different weird sort of measures. I, I'm I'm glad to be right. I hate having to be right. Rick, what do you think it would take for more people, more Republicans, uh, you know, people that reach out to you and talk about these things, to have that same 
epiphany as you had about the rule of law and Trump's uh, destruction. I mean, what type of event we had, you know, now this uh, these guilty verdicts against Paul Manafort, the guilty plea by Michael Cohen. Is that going to move the needle for anybody? What would it take? Nope, 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 nope. It's not going to do it's not. Look, you could see it yesterday when Paul Ryan in in a moment of great courage came out and said, well, we have to get more information on this. I mean, come on. These guys are petrified of Donald Trump. And more to the point, they're petrified of his followers. And I'm sure when you guys talk to Republicans privately, you've heard the same thing I've heard, which is they say things like, well, if he tweets about me, the crazies are going to come after me, whether it's political or on social media or showing up at their office or threatening them. That whole spectrum of behavior um, has terrified Republican members of Congress. And 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 they they will not act. Um, even in the most brazen situation, I, I, I promise you, even when they lose a good number of seats in November and even when the more evidence comes forth on Trump's uh, on Trump's money and Russia and everything else. And even if Trump engages in overtly lawless behavior in the Oval Office, the Republican Party has now sold itself to him. And and the very difficult road back is going to involve a lot of them losing their seats and taking tremendous economic pain. Um, you know, from their personal side and taking tremendous political pain. And and Donald Trump, they've locked their fortunes to Donald Trump. And I don't know where they go from here unless they figure out a, an exit strategy. I mean, what could they do? What should they be saying? If you're saying that the reaction yesterday from Ryan, uh, from Mitch McConnell sure. was exactly what you'd expect, what could they be doing differently? Well, my, my recommendation would be to act like a co-equal branch of government and not like a bunch of junior assistant managers at the, at the gift shop at a Trump golf club. Um, Paul Ryan and the leadership have engaged in what I, and I, and you, you, Rick knows I'm, I'm friends with Paul Ryan. I like Paul Ryan a lot, but he is, he has completely rolled over on this guy. He is, he has r- reduced the power of Congress institutionally in ways that I think that, that Republicans will deeply regret in the future. Um, and, and I think that there's a sense of, of obedience to Trump and of allowing um, Trump's allies in Congress to run roughshod um, over over the investigative process that should have been taken on as a co-equal branch of government. Um, and I just think it's I think the, the degree to which they've walked away from that responsibility and allowed people like Devin Nunez and his staffers um, and, and to run absolutely wild in trying to be a part of the Trump legal defense team. Um, it has been something that I, I, I it is was unimaginable to me that Republicans who said that we were going to have, you know, a strong, uh, a strong legislative branch when Paul Ryan came in and would take back the prerogatives of the legislature, legislative branch have done what they've done with Donald Trump. So they, they'd have that be the first step in standing up. And Rick, you're, you're no Democrat, obviously, but uh, the, the talk in Democratic circles immediately turning to impeachment. And if you just look at what is alleged here. Michael Cohen, the president's longtime attorney, is saying mm-hmm. in open court that he was directed by the now president of the United States to break campaign finance law, to make a hush money payment, to keep quiet a right. porn star on the, on the right. eve of the election. Uh, stunning stuff. High crime and misdemeanors, that's for Congress to decide. Where do you see it play politically? Should Democrats be campaigning on impeachment? And should President Trump be impeached? Well... Uh, I am waiting for actual an actual sort of bill of charges to be presented. I think you are getting closer to it. I think even the White House acknowledged today, you saw Maggie's story this morning and other stories this morning, 
um, that they're now worried that the you know, just tweeting alone is not going to be an adequate defense. But I do think that is even if the Democrats take the House, so let's, let's say the Democrats have the best day ever and they get a Watergate level 49 seat win. OK, um, and that, that's that's not the that's not the biggest swap ever. But I'm just to say that, right. that that number comes out and they get a 49 seat win. I still think they are going to have a huge amount of trouble um, getting impeachment to go through. I think that the Senate is still going to be, you know, there's no way you're going to need a two-thirds in the Senate. Um, and and I, I think in part that is because the Republican base, uh, shrunken as it is, is still with Trump. They don't care about the facts. They don't care about the law. They would, they, I mean, there are a lot of them who would, and I, I really have to throw this into a focus group with Trump voters at some point. Would they like to switch over to a, to a system where we eliminate the, uh, the restriction on royalty in America? Because they, they, they treat him as completely above and beyond all accountability. Um, so I think we're in a situation where, uh, where you know, an impeachment, you may, you may get the impeachment, but you won't get the conviction. So, and, and I've told Democrats this from the very beginning of this process. A, it's the hardest thing in politics. Look at the number, look at the N number of impeachments that have happened. It's the hardest thing in American but they, politics. But should they even try is the point? I mean, there's a lot of pressure in the base to, to do this. And Steve Bannon and company are saying, bring it on. They want that contrast. They want that, well, that fight. That, Bannon, Bannon and these guys want to use this as a way to activate the, the base. Um, much as Bill Clinton used it at, to activate his base, sure, and and used it as a pushback. So if the Democrats are smart, they're going to talk about the top level issue of corruption, and 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 instability and and conspiracy, and you know let the day take you take them where it, where it takes them, but not make it the centerpiece of their of their message because it doesn't actually it's not actually necessary to get the Democratic base fired up. These voters have been fired up because of Trump's affect and behavior and policies, not just on the question of Russia conspiracy. So I, I think they've already got that. It's, it's, it's icing on the cake with, with potential for blowback. So I think the reality here is, is Democrats will crawl over broken glass to vote against Trump and Trump-like voters. Um, and so it, it, it's not necessary to make it the linchpin of the 2018 uh, campaign. And, and, and we know that corruption works as a message. Look, we saw it in 73 and 74. We saw it in 1994. We saw it in 2006. Corruption is a bad, it's a bad thing to have hanging over your head as a party. Rick, I want to talk to you about the president's message uh, for the midterms. The White House said this week that the president's going to spend at least 40 days out on the campaign trail. He's going to do some rallies. He'll do a lot of fundraising. And he wants to hit a high mark for a president out there trying to help candidates. Where can he help? What can he do? What would you expect this to look like in September and October? Well, I think that September and October are going to be rally after rally. He wants to recapitulate 2016 and play the uh, let's beat crooked Hillary part two. Um, he is clearly framing out in a sort of 1970, uh, 72 Nixonian frame, the uh, vote for the dark people and their wave of crime and violence um, or stick with me and we will have safety and security. I mean, the, Roger Ailes may be dead, but his playbook is still very much front and center in Donald Trump's mind. Um, from, from the from the Nixon reelect, and I think we're in a situation where, where, without, w- without 
a strong catalyzing moment, Donald Trump is going to continue to be under this legal pressure. He's going to continue to be dragged on a lot of these things in the Mueller investigation. I don't think there's going to be a final report issued on September 1st. I think that's almost ridiculously unlikely. And Trump seems to believe it's going to happen, and his, and his attorneys seem to believe it's going to happen. But it, it, it is unlikely. So the pressure is going to mount. I think his behavior has locked a lot of Republicans to his ups and downs. And so these guys who, who have bound themselves to Donald Trump um, – I'll give you an example in Florida. If Ron DeSantis wins the mm-hmm. primary for governor in Florida, and he, he may well, because the Trump bump certainly helps in the Republican primary. Um, if he wins in the Republican primary, um, you are going to end up with a guy who is absolutely bound to Donald Trump in every way. You don't run a commercial about how much you love Donald Trump um, unless you want to get stuck with him forever. Um, and so if Trump is having a you know crazy tweet week the week before elections, DeSantis may have some burdens of that. You may have to be answering questions about that. You don't get to run your own campaign anymore. Your campaign is run by Donald Trump's Twitter feed and his daily his daily targets. So, and that's going to replicate out along a lot of different races up and down the ballot in in sixteen. And and you once you're stuck with him, you're stuck with him. Rick, before we let you go, you mentioned September 1st. You mentioned the president's attorneys. There's one of his attorneys in particular that I'd like to ask about, Rudy Giuliani. Mm-hmm. You know Rudy yeah. really well. You worked for him uh, in his campaign. For a long time. You worked in, in New York, in the mayor's yep. office. Yep. What happened to Rudy Giuliani in the time since you, you knew him? Is he the same person? Is he... Is he? Well, I will tell you this. The last time we communicated was in 15. I mean, we saw each other this year in, the, in LaGuardia for like a hot second. <laughs> um, but... And I'm... I'm Look, I'm part of one of the, a very wide, far-flung network of Rudy Giuliani alumni. Um, you know, and all of us have gone on to do pretty decent things in our careers. Um, because it was a great experience. He was a great leader uh, of New York City at the time. And, and I think no matter what happens, you know, people will always be grateful for Rudy for turning around New York uh, in terms of safety and the economy and, and grateful for his leadership in the whole country uh, on 9-11. But the Rudy we're seeing today is not, um, is not the same person in terms of, of the way I read him ideologically or the way or behaviorally or professionally. And I, I, it's inexplicable and I I don't want to theorize on, on the purely inexplicable, but uh, you know, as one of his, one of his former deputy mayors said to me the other day, a guy who knew him better than I did, this is a slowly unfolding tragedy. And, and you know, he is, he, he's, he seems like he's very happy in the limelight, but I think for his legacy, just as, uh, uh, just as I've said in my book, you know, everything Trump touches dies. And I think Rudy's commitment to this is eventually going to be the, the sort of mark on his political tombstone of how he ended a career that could have been seen in a much different and much uh, and much more uh, dignified and honorable light. But, right. Rick, is it working? Is, is, is Rudy doing a good job for his boss right now? Is he doing a service well, for look, President Trump? It, it, Rudy's job, Rudy's job isn't to be an attorney. Rudy's job right now is performance art. And that performance art is is all built around going out and keeping uh, a steady drip for the Fox News audience and the Sean Hannity audience and 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 the crazies um, of of assurance that there's no there there there's nothing wrong Trump is innocent this is all a Hillary Clinton George Soros deep state con job 
Um, but as an attorney for, for Donald Trump, I think he's walked in into a bunch of different exposures that that they will probably live to regret. Um, and 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 as a as an attorney, um, you know, Trump's team is not exactly stacked to the gills with people who are who are a plus um, uh, at, at, at playing outside of the message bubble that that you know look like we saw yesterday. Manafort and Cohen both, you could spin it all day long, but at the end of the day, the weight of the evidence and the power of the evidence against them was was utterly dispositive, and you couldn't get away from it. And so as much as Rudy goes on Hannity and they, they bloviate together about how bad Rob, Bob Mueller is and how evil um, the deep state is, it doesn't change the fact that these things are moving through the courts. They're moving with, with regular authority and with with seriousness and and with a with a tightly bounded set of, of of evidence that is going to be very hard to escape from in the end. And as much as you know Donald Trump tweets no collusion, at some point when there's evidence of conspiracy or evidence of collusion or evidence of engagement with the Russians, you you can't walk away from it and just hope that you can tweet your way out of the box. Rick Wilson the book is Everything Trump Touches Dies. Congratulations on its big rise through the New York Times bestseller list. You couldn't ask for better timing sir. for the book. Um, and uh, it is it is an entertainment uh, entertaining read, uh, just like uh, Rick's Twitter feed. It is, uh, it is oh, we've got to gotta laugh a second. I'll <laughs> have a minute. It, it, congrats, congrats again, Rick, and appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, Rick. Thanks, Karen. Talk Thank you so much. Yeah, bye-bye. And Karen, I think there's a lot in what Rick Wilson has to say about um, about the Republican Party, but we should note he is in the distinct minority in that Republican Party. And whether it's elected officials or the Trump base, um, I think, as he conceded and as your question got at, they're not going to matter for the mm-hmm. good portion of the Republican base. I think we can fairly assume based on, uh, on, on past experience. Yeah, that, you know, voters' opinions are baked in and a drip drop of news coming out from the Russia probe charges against uh, one campaign official, guilty verdicts against Paul Manafort. It's not necessarily going to change anybody's mind on anything. And certainly the president with a steady drumbeat of this is all a bunch of baloney anyway, uh, he's, you know, speaking to the chorus there, but that's exactly what his base thinks right now. And none of these charges or any legal developments, I think, are going to change that for them. Yeah. And even likely in a week when that drip drop became an absolute avalanche of of news. (laughs) The flood of Tuesday, August 21st. (laughs) Exactly. We'll remember that date for a long time. Well, that does it for today's uh, episode of Powerhouse Politics. Thank you to Karen Travers for filling in for the inexplicably missing Jonathan Carl. Uh, We'll update you on his whereabouts in a future episode shortly. Uh, But uh, our thanks to the whole team, Trevor Hastings, Angie Yak, Avery Miller, and the entire team at ABC News Politics. We'll be back next time with another edition of Powerhouse Politics.